Well, good morning, Abundant Life. You may be seated. Uh, I thought we were going to do another song. I thought I had. It's all right. You got to pivot, right? I know. Oops. <laughs> um, before I get into the message, um, TJ, can you um, put up on the screen Psalms, I think it's 116, verse 15. Let me see. I think it's Psalms 116. There it is. And uh, what's verse 15? Yeah, there it is. Look at that scripture. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. That was a scripture God gave me when my mom passed. And our brother Jason just said, absence from the body is presence with the Lord. So precious in the sight of the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that ironic? Here we are grieving, which is proper when you love someone. But he says, come on home. Come on. And it was precious in his sight. That's a great word, isn't it? Yeah. Amen. Like Jason said, we're in this series uh, called Nobody Greater. Perfect timing, isn't it? Um, turn to Exodus, if you have your Bibles, Exodus 20. And um, we're going to put it on the screen as well. It's kind of ironic that uh, Carlton is also in my sermon. So that's my big brother. It just happened to be. That's how God rules. That's how he rules. Are we there? So here it says, and God spoke all these words. Next verse. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make of yourself an image in, form, in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Next verse. You should not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and it is the bread of life. It amazes me that heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will remain forever. Give us a fresh, fresh revelation of this word today. We hunger for your word. It is bread of life to us, Lord, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in this six-part series, and I'm in, we're, this is the third part of that series, and Jason handed it off to me, and it's called Nobody Greater. And I'm going to come at it at a different angle. Um, the definition of worship, uh, and this is just uh, the Webster's um, definition, but I like it. It says, the feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a deity. The feeling or expression of reverence and adoration for a, de a deity. One of the questions that I, when I was praying to the Lord about this message, it was ironic to me that Satan was once called Lucifer, the bright and morning star, and he was a worshiper. And it amazes me that I can't talk about worship without talking about this adversary. Now his name is Satan. He's he opposes everything that God wants for his people. 
And this, this Satan, um, this created angel, if you study it in Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, you remember the I wills, the, you know, the four or five I wills. But the last one was, I will ascend, you know, he was, and be like God. And I can't help but think about in the new covenant, they said that he is a thief that what? Comes to what? Steal, kill, and destroy. But as we know, Christ came to give us what? Life more abundantly. And so as Jason was talking about worship in the first series, and in the second series, I said, whoa, I, I, I got to throw a nugget in here because we fight night against flesh and blood. But, uh, you know, you guys know the scriptures. I'm talking to abundant life. <laughs> and it amazed me that in Luke 10 and verse 17, um, there was about 72 disciples that Jesus sent out to do some work. And they came back and excited about the name of Jesus. Demons had to bow. And. Jesus is so cool. He says, yeah, I, I remember Satan falling out of heaven like lightning. I was there. <laughs> I, was, I was like, whoa. Wouldn't you love to walk with Jesus? Like, no, everybody. I saw Satan fall like lightning out of heaven. Revelations uh, 12, 9 says the same thing, that he was cast out with his demons, right? And so here I am thinking about this series, and I'm thinking a little bit about, I got to throw some spiritual warfare in there. Right. Just a little bit. I don't want to. I mean, we can go. That's a sermon in itself. Right. Now, I wanted to go back to Exodus 20, but I'm going to read it from the New Century Version because it's going to help me with the sermon for the next three weeks. Here's what it says in the New Century Version. It says, then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt where you were slaves you must not have any other gods except me. Here's where it gets a little different. I like this translation. You must not make of yourselves any idol. If you take a note, circle that word. That looks like anything in the sky above or on the earth below or the water below. You must not worship or serve any idol. Why am I using the word idol? When the other translation talked about you should not make an image, in the Eastern culture, they would make images of their kings and they would be in certain providences and you would know that that king was over that providence. And so God was saying, if don't even try to make an image of me, because we know now in the new covenant that he's a spirit and those that worship him in spirit must worship him in spirit and what? truth. So, so we would, if we tried to make an image of God, he said, you will mess it up. I'm omnipotent. I'm all knowing. I'm ever present. You will mess it up. And it just reminded me back in the day, I'm old. So way back in the day in the malls, they would have these photo booths and, you know, you and your little girlfriend would go in there and take a picture. You know, everybody my age understands that. And I mean, didn't they come out jacked up? And so if you tried to show your boy, hey, look how she looks. Well, this is not a real good image of her. You know what I mean? And so that's what God was saying. You, you don't even try it. But then he was talking about idols, right? He was talking about idols. And this familiar scripture that I like this revelation of it. Because in America, in our country, we don't really 
you know, make images of God and bow down to him like in the Eastern cultures, right? But what I do want to talk to you, uh, Jason talked about in the first, first week, you got to go back. He was talking about ascribing to God what is due his. I'm going to read a little bit out of it. He was in 2 Chronicles 16. I just want to read it because I love saying it. And then, can you help me out, Abundant Life? When I pause, just say, amen and hallelujah. I mean, just say that real loud for me. Just, you know, help me out today. I need some help, you know. And um, 1 Chronicles 16, when I, when I pause, just say amen and hallelujah. Sing to him, sing praises to him, tell, all, tell about all his miracles, be glad that you are his. Let those who seek the Lord be happy. Amen. All right, oh God, I love it. Depend on the Lord and his strength. Always go to him for help. Thank you. You're good. Remember the miracles he has done, his wonders and his decision. You are the descendants of his servant, Israel. You are the children of Jacob, his chosen one. Sing to the Lord, all the earth every day. Tell how he saves. Amen. Yeah. So Jason was he, he was teaching us to give him his due. Right. That was in the, the first week. If you got to go back now, here's what he did that threw me a curveball. He actually said when we were doing this, he came to us that we are, this is the home court advantage every Sunday when we huddle up here, when we ascribe to him, he gives us strength. We have home court advantage. Now, I just got an interesting revelation about that. And this is where Carlton comes in. My brother Carlton, he's a Raider fan and I'm a Niner fan. But the Raiders are my second team. I had, to, I had to explain that to him. You know, he was like, how, how you got two teams? And so once I explained it to him, it made sense and he accepted it, right? And so about 12 years ago, and this is about the home court advantage, Pastor Jason. 12 years ago, uh, we, you know, I was like, look, man, let's buy some Raider tickets, season tickets. And, and this is when we had... We weren't ungodly. We had two or three services back then. <laughs> Just want you to know we still worship God. <laughs> and he says, cool. He's, so he got us some, some uh, tickets and, you know, season tickets. And uh, I didn't have any Raider gear. So, you know, I'm not going to buy a jersey. It's my second team. So I bought a nice hat and a coat, and he was already geared up. He had his Raider gear on. So I put on the Raider gear, and so did Carlton. And the first game was against the Kansas City Chiefs. And we, get, we, we go to service, early service, and we jump in our car, and we catch the BART. We, uh, now we're in the BART. All of, and they call them the what? The Raider what? Raider Nation, there you go. So the Raider Nation, we're, they're all geared up and we're on the BART and you know, we're going to the Oakland Coliseum and then I see a Kansas City, brave Kansas City Chiefs guy with his jersey on. And um, I, I reckon that because I could see what he put on. And um, we get off the BART and the Oakland Coliseum exit and there's this kind of bridge we got to cross. And as we were crossing the bridge, these worshipers, I mean these fans, <laughs> they started going like this, Raiders, Raiders. I mean, they're walking, and you know, this is my first experience. Raiders, and they began to ascribe glory and worship, right? Raid, I'm like, whoa. 
And I got excited with him. Me and Carlton looked at each other and it, you just couldn't help it. Raiders, didn't matter if you were an extrovert or an introvert. Raiders, and they hadn't even reached the sanctuary, I mean the Coliseum. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? They haven't even reached it yet. And I'm like, whoa. And, Lord and behold, we're in the parking lot now. Guess what these were, I mean, these fans were doing? They were tailgating, they were breaking bread and having drinks. <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. We hadn't even, re and they were offering me, they didn't even know me. Hey brother, brother, how did they, oh, oh, I had the Raider. Hey brother, oh, hugging me and they were excited. I hadn't even reached the sanctuary, I mean the Coliseum. And so I'm going, oh my God, look at this. So we get into the sanctuary, I mean the Coliseum, and I mean Asians were hugging blacks and blacks was hugging Asians and Hispanics were hugging blacks and whites and we were hugging and, and tall people were hugging short people, kids. And it was a fellowship that I was like, look at this fellowship. Wow. And the object of the worship, the Raider team hadn't even hit the field yet. And I mean, it was just hugging and fellowship and nobody was talking about their problems or their issues. And then I looked at that one guy with the Kansas City jersey on, and this was 12 years ago. I said, he, he better not say nothing. <laughs> he better not, you know, the, you know, when they asked Jesus to teach us how to pray and he said, pray like this, our father who art in heaven, what? Hallow. You better not disrespect that name. And I was like, how many of us will kick somebody, you know, you know I mean, <laughs> tell some, don't you dare, don't you dare use my Lord's name in vain, right? And so that, that Kansas City Chiefs fan had to be very careful what he said to a Raider fan. You know what I'm saying? So when the team finally hits, there was no worship team needed. There was no, can you please stand? Every 60,000 fans stood up and we screamed and hollered for four hours. <laughs> what am I trying to say, Jason? It's your fault that you gave me this. <laughs> I'm really talking about the idols of the heart. Uh, and I'm gonna do a three-part series because we don't really worship images. But in his second sermon, he messed me up. He talked about guard your heart. And so when he said, guard your heart, I'm saying, Lord, how do I follow that? Well, tell your people that you love, and I'm so glad you love me, that I got to talk about these subtle, these subtle idols that are in our hearts. So this week, I'm going to talk about relationships. The next week, I'm going to talk about success and power. And then the third week, I'm going to talk about culture and religion. Don't miss that one. Culture and religion. So the idols of the heart. And so it's, it's your fault, Jason, but I, I, I thank you for it. You helped me out with this message, right? And I praise God. I want to define the term idol. And I'm going to go deeper as the weeks go on. But because we got lunch and barbecue, and it's just my fault because I want some of that barbecue, I'm not trying to rush, but I do want to eat. The definition of an idol that I'm going to use is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart. Jason was talking about guarding your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. Hmm, isn't that good? 
Now, when we talk about relationships, you know I love case studies. So I want to go to the book of Genesis, and you, you just write this down for your own edification. Genesis 29, and you can put it up. I want to talk about a love triangle between Jacob, Rachel, and who else? Leah. There you go. Leah. I, I love you guys, man. And, and here's what I'm talking about, and, I don't, and here's what I want to make perfectly clear. God has blessed us with relationships and God um, has ordained marriage and he has ordained for us to iron sharpening iron and um, we're created beings, we're relational beings. And so I use that analogy about the Raiders. Look, there's plenty of Raider fans, including me and Carlton, that was not worshiping the Raiders. But wasn't it a good analogy about what has your heart? It's a good analogy. And so relationships are beautiful. They're ordained by God. And but like Jason said, don't make a good thing the main thing. And that's what happens in all of these idols of our hearts. It's a good thing to be successful. God says, whatever you do, do it wholeheartedly as unto the Lord. God is never, uh, he, he owns a, you know, a cat on a thousand hills. He doesn't care how much money you make. He just don't want the money to make you. You know what I mean? He, you know, he doesn't care what your ethnicity is. He just don't want your culture or your ethnicity or your, your Republican or your Democrat or your independent party to be the main thing. So this, so I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I just want to have the balance here when I talk about these idols of our hearts. I want us to be careful because when I was exegeting that scripture that says the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. That word thief, we get the word, what is that? Um, how you doing? We get this word that means that he is crafty and cunning. Klepto is the word. And that word we get kleptomaniac. So he's, he's a clever thief. He, you know, that, that he's a pickpocketer. You don't even know he has stolen from you. So that is what I'm really talking. It's not like we see him coming. It's that he's so cunning and so clever and, and by the way, while I'm talking about spiritual warfare, I have to remember to give you the, the main point of what he's going to steal. In relationships, what he wants to steal from us is our intimacy from God. So just remember, I'm just glad I remember. Thank you, Lord. So this thief comes to steal and he's clever. You don't even know he's doing it, right? And so Jacob, we're here in the story. Jacob, he's called the trickster. He's already tricked his brother out of his inheritance. And then he runs into his father-in-law, not knowing that he's got the same spirit. And Jacob is just sprung on Rachel. I mean, the Bible describes her. We don't have it up. You can bring it up. But the Bible really describes her as this beautiful person, both in appearance and body. We got kids in here. I would go deeper. But back in the day, the Commodores had a song called She's a Brick House. You know what I mean? Some of you guys remember that. Some, I mean, that means she's, you know, help me out abundant life. Let me know you understand what I'm saying, okay? She was beautiful, and she had a beautiful body, and he was sprung. So much so that um, he says, you know, what can I do to, what, what, come on, what can I do? And he said, well, you know, you can work for me for seven years. Now, the scholars say that was four times the amount that was paid for a regular bride. He's, the Bible says he worked seven years, and it only seemed like a few days. Now, the trickster... 
used his daughter for some financial gain. Come on, parents, I'm talking about relationships. Parents, don't live through your kids. You know what I mean? They don't have to be a doctor. They don't have to be an engineer. If they're a teacher, be cool with it. You know what I mean? I'm talking about relationships now. So the father says, I'm going to use her beauty for my own family gain, right? He works seven years and he comes to the end and there's a wedding festival and he's so drunk, he sneaks. Who did he sneak in? Leah. The oldest daughter. It confused me because he laid with her. We got kids and he laid with her and woke up and said, whoa, this is not Rachel. So you know how my mind works. Did they ever go to Starbucks together? I mean, did he know her hand? How did he, I mean, how did you not know it was Rachel? Maybe he could never hug her. I don't know. But the Bible says that Leah had weak eyes and I'm not trying to be descriptive, but it's almost like she wasn't pretty. Thank you, brother. She wasn't the one that men desired. I'm going into Leah's psychic now. Can you imagine being the black sheep of the family? You're no one, and the father's like, how am I gonna get her married? Well, this dude is so sprung, I'm gonna sneak Leah in there, and now I don't have to worry about her anymore. How did she feel that the father thought so little of her that he had to trick someone to marry her? But Leah's her self-esteem and her significance was so tied to Jacob now, Leah began to say, wait a minute. The Bible says that she, was, that Rachel was barren, but Leah wasn't. So she began to have these boys for him, right? Which is valuable in that culture. And then she said, maybe he will love, the first son, maybe he will love me now. Second son came, maybe he will love me now. The Bible actually says, that God saw Leah's hurt that she wasn't loved, right? Isn't that amazing? He, God saw that she wasn't loved. She wasn't the one that was loved. So he, Rachel was barren, but she wasn't. She's giving out these kids. And I finally came to the conclusion that the fourth son, every son she kept seeing, even the third one, she said, well, maybe now he will be attached to me. I gave him a third son. Maybe he will treat me like the wife that I desire. Her whole self-esteem was caught up in this man giving her significance, right? This is what we're talking about, this heart. Now, I'm going to be real with you. Some of these Raider fans are so crazy that that's the only thing. I saw grown men with full uniforms on. I'm like, what are you doing? Painted faces, shoulder pads. And I mean, they were like, and then they were screaming. And I'm like, this is this dude's identity. Like, who would grown men will fight you because you got a different jersey on? I mean, is that, is it? <laughs> we'll pray for you too. Um, we're talking about who had the matters of the heart here, Jason, trying to help our congregation. That was a good one, man. The, but Leah, can you imagine? She said, man. Third son, maybe now he will treat me that the wife that I so long for. You know what I mean? He still didn't. The Bible says he loved Rachel more than her. It was in the Bible. And so now Rachel can't have kids, but Leah can. She's dropping these sons. But the last son, I think his name was Judea. Now, or Judah. Now, God, God, the, the fourth son, she finally got it. She says, now I will just praise the Lord. 
forget, you know, this man ain't gonna, he ain't gonna, he ain't gonna honor me. He's not gonna love on me the way I should. I'm gonna praise the Lord. The fourth son is kind of amazing because that's the bloodline that Jesus came through. Isn't that amazing that he will take someone that is not loved, give him a son that the Messiah would come through. The Messiah had the same problem. He came until his own and his own received him not. So I just thought that was fascinating. Now, fast forward in the th- chapter 30, chapter 30, we're talking about Genesis 30, the very first verse, Rachel, this beautiful brick house, I mean, this beautiful woman in appearance and form could not have babies. And she was envious because the daughter that was not the bright and shining star in the family was dropping sons. And she and Jacob got into an argument. He basically said, who am I, God? Can't help it that you're not, that you're barren. I mean, they're arguing. Wait a minute, Jacob, what happened? Don't talk to her that way. You worked 14 years. <laughs> and now, don't, now, you know what I'm trying, so what I'm trying to say is, and one of the issues that we have when we make other things the main thing is no matter what, it definitely becomes Aaliyah. You know what I mean? No matter what, it bec- I don't care when you become a doctor, you're excited about it, but once it happens and you get the degree, now you got the job, it becomes Aaliyah. When you move into the neighborhood that you finally thought would give you significance, it still becomes empty. It's just a house. It's a beautiful house, but you're used to it now. And advertisers take advantage of it. I got a phone. They want me to get another one. Why? They want you to feel empty. So one of the things I always want us to remember is that no matter what happens, when we fix our eyes on a Rachel, eventually it will become a Leah if you make it the main thing. Now, this trickster that I'm talking about named Satan, the adversary, I find it very fascinating. Can you imagine that in some time, a long time ago, and scholars, they can't, how do they know certain things? This, can I just say a long time ago? In the heavens, when this Lucifer, this bright and morning star, was a worshiper, and he was beauty and form, and he wanted to be like God, he uses the same strategy with you and I, right? Falls out of heaven, get kicks out. The demons that were stupid enough to follow him, they made hev- they, uh, our, our Lord and Savior made hell for them, right? They get kicked out. God says, I'm going to make you and I, humans, a little lower than the angels. Gave us free will. Created Adam and Eve. Gave them his word. Don't eat of this tree, but have at everything else. Right? But what I liked about in Genesis, he said, I'm going to make these people, these humans, a little lower than the angels, but I'm going to create them in my image and in my likeness. Now, the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And if your weakest weapon is your lack of knowledge of his strategy. You see, one of the, one of the scriptures that I love so much that talks about the things of the world, it actually says, the love of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from God, but it's from the world. Now, we know through scripture that Satan now is the little God of this world. He's controlling all this stuff. These weapons of our warfare are real, right? And so the enemy did not change his strategy. He talks to Eve and says, look, did God really say that you cannot eat of that fruit? He knows once you do it, 
you will be like him. Now, this she, the lack of information, I mean, I'm already like him. Did she forget that? Did Adam forget the word? You were made in my image, in my likeness, right? And so it was pleasing to her eyes. And then she wanted that knowledge, which is the pride of life, right? Right, Satan got it. So sin now enters into the world and now we're born with a sinful nature, right? But now can I just jump to the new covenant? Here you and I, it was a naked night. You remember naked night when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus in the night and he says, you won't even see God unless you're what? Born again. Not of flesh and blood, but of what? The spirit. Thank you. Just biblical scholars up in here. Makes it easy. And so Jesus, Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot see God. Now imagine here we are now born again. I love it. We, the old nature is now crucified, is dead, buried. We have a new nature. Now, Jason was talking about in, in the second um, sermon that he did on worship, he was talking about attitudes and all of this. But now you and I get to put on who? Christ. We get to put on our new nature, right? And so when we put on our new nature and we put on Christ, can the world see us? Do they know who we are? Do they know that we're different? Do they know that we are foreigners passing through here? Can they identify us like they identified me and Carlton with our Raider gear on? Because he says now put off anger and hatred and bitterness, put on compassion and put on love. Do they see that in us abundant life? Well, Satan has come to steal that. Satan has come to steal that we are now here our very purpose is to give God glory. The thing that Satan doesn't want is for you and me to glorify God in word, thought, and deed. If he can steal the glory from God, because we're already saved. It is not by our works. It is not by following the law. It is by the grace of God. I love that. I don't care what you did, who you are, who you slept with, how many times you slept with them, what you drink, what you smoke. When you accept Christ, you are the, in the beloved. You are in the kingdom. And I'm going to talk about how religion messes that up. But that's, that's the last message. But hang in there with me. We are so blessed he cannot touch us. But he can take the glory away. If you and I let him. If someone doesn't understand that there's something about Keith, why is he so happy? Why does he rejoice so much? I love when you guys were talking back to me because I was visualizing what would the world do or what would the JCC people do here if we were like those Raider fans? Like when we just got in the parking lot and we didn't even talk about our problems and 30 of you started saying, our God is an awesome God. He ran. I'm like, what would they do? We, I mean, I'm telling you, in the world, they did it without, I mean, no coaching. They were excited about the Raiders. We're talking about worship, ascribing to God what is due. We should not let the world out sing us about our God, out praise us about our God. Now, the next case study I want you to do, and he passed the test, right? The next case study is our boy that I love so much, Abraham and Isaac. Man, you remember the miracle? of how old Abraham and Sarah was. We, don't, you, we know, right? Do you remember how he says, I'm going to bless you with a son? And, uh, you know, 
how are you going to do that, Lord? But he just believed God. That's what I love about Abraham. Because of his belief, when God said and he believed it, it was counted unto him as righteous. No laws to follow or anything. No Ten Commandments. That's what I like about our salvation. If you just believe Jesus, you don't even have to know anything else. If you believe in his death, burial, and resurrection, you are saved. Right? You are saved. You're in the, now, you know, there's some behaviors that we need to change. But even if you didn't, you're still saved. I'm sorry. It's good news. It's the good news, right? He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteous. But now he has this son, Isaac. He, he finally comes because, you know, they were like, man, Lord, you're, what's up with your timing here? You remember, uh, you know, Sarah was like, it must not be me. Let's take the maidservant. Uh, so they, he added more years to it. No, I told you Sarah was going to have a baby. Now that Isaac is born, he is excited. I mean, Abraham loves this boy. And do you know that God said, hmm, I wonder if he matters of the heart, Jason. Did he forget about me? I'm not, you know, God knows everything. I'm just talking, y'all. You know what I mean? Wait a minute. Does he, does he love Isaac more than me? Maybe he's talking to Isaac more than he's talking to God. Maybe before Isaac was born, he fellowship with God day and night. He meditated and he talked to him and walked with him. Now that Isaac's born, now we know when our kids are born, we, you know, we got to spend time with them, right? But did he forget about God? So God was like, look, make him a burnt offering. Put him on the altar, burnt offering. Abraham was, <laughs> huh? <laughs> you know, wait. He said, you're the son that you love, your only that you love, put him on the burnt altar. Now, let's talk about the burnt offering for a moment. He didn't say murder him. The burnt offering to me was almost like a metaphor of the offering that Jesus was going. You know, that burnt offering is going to cover the sins of his people, but God, the only begotten son, will take away the sins. So he takes his son and he puts them on this burnt offering. Oh, he ties them. Can you imagine this old man? <laughs> you know, it'd have been me. I'm like, Pops, what are we doing? What you mean, lay down? And what you, you strapping me? What's going on here? I mean, I don't even know why Isaac didn't fight him. That's another story, right? Maybe because his father was so godly and he saw the miracles of God so much. He, Isaac, he says, look, we're we going to be back, Isaac. He never seen God raise anyone from the dead. We know our God is all powerful and almighty. But he, 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 he just succumbs and submits to his dad, puts him on the burnt offering, takes the knife. And you remember what happened. The angel spoke, called his name. But God basically said, now that I know that I'm still your priority, he, he provided a ram in the bush. You know what I mean? So Abraham's heart even though he loved his son, was still healthy enough to say, there's nothing greater than my God. There's nobody greater than my God. Come up, Jason. Come up, team. And so we're going to get some good food. But I hope you understand that in this series, I'm talking about our hearts. And I want you to understand that that devil, that liar is clever. Let's examine ourselves because all of us at a certain point have idols in our hearts that we need to take to the Lord and say, I repent of this, Lord. There's nobody greater than you.
Stand to your feet with me, will you? Everybody just close your eyes where you stand. Bow your heads. I want us just to begin to think about anything that you make in your life that perhaps you've given more attention to than God. It could be so many different things for so many of us. But as you think about it, think about those things. Even this week, that you've given so much time and energy to. But yet, you've treated perhaps God in a very quick way. Your interactions with him maybe were seconds or on the go. So I want us to pray today just about whatever that is that you've identified just now. For some of us, it may be a child. It may be something not that we're not supposed to give our time and attention. That's our jobs to our children. But maybe you've, they're royalty in your house. You set them on a pedestal, like a piece of art that you're working on. For others, maybe it's, maybe it's your job. You, you have not been able to say no to the people, to the request, to the demands. For others, it could just be that you just don't have the energy at the end of the day. And all you want to do is just go and sit somewhere. And so for some of us, it needs to maybe need to rearrange our days. But whatever that is for you, just begin to speak to God and give it to him and let him know that this is something that you want to address. Because when we do that, our hearts, our minds, our worship, our days, the things that God has given us to do, they become so much sweeter and so much better. And you become so much stronger. Give it to the Lord. Father, we come in your presence right now. We stand before you, God, as children of God, as men and women and children who love you, who want to be close to you. God, but we also understand that there is nobody on this earth that is perfect. 
There is no one else that's perfect. There is, there is no one else besides you, Lord, that is perfect. So we know you've told us in your word that there will be trials and there'll be tribulation. There'll be things that we need to work on. And this is one of them, God. So we give you today, Lord, those things in our lives that is keeping us from getting close to you. We acknowledge them today, Lord. Some don't know what to do with it. They can acknowledge it, but they're not sure how to change, God. We believe that you know how and that you're going to give way and that you're going to show us and that you're going to guide us, Lord. Just like you did, Abraham, and his quest with Isaac. We understand, Lord, that you not only will guide us and show us, Lord, that we'll be better for it, Lord. So I, Father, I, I pray right now that you take the hearts of those right now, Lord, who have identified something, Lord, who are honest enough with themselves and with you in this moment to say, I need help with this. And Lord, in the, in the days and the hours to come, Lord, I pray, Father, that you begin to speak with them. I pray that you'd begin to talk with them. I pray that they would open up the word of God and that you would, it, that, that, the, that the word would just come on to them, Lord. And that that blowing wind that we talked about, Lord, earlier, Lord, would blow into their lives, Lord, and begin to shape and mold and change each and every one of us, Lord. We all have something, whether we can identify it or not, God. But what we're doing right now and in this moment is setting it before you, spreading it out, that we may see the glory of the Lord. That every idol, every hindrance, everything we give attention to that's not you and for your kingdom, Take it and work it together for good. In Jesus' name, we all said amen, amen, and amen. God bless you all. Have a good night.